You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rollins. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. With more than 7,000 investors, the Solomon Foundation is committed to helping the local church grow. When you partner with the Solomon Foundation, you get an excellent return while making an eternal impact. Start today at www.thesolomonfoundation.org. Welcome to another episode of the Senior Pastor Podcast. I am your host, Matt Rawlings, teaching pastor at Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio. And I am joined by Bob Russell, founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church in the Louisville area. Ken Eidelman, former president of Ozark Christian College and the former lead pastor at Crossroads Christian Church. And Scott Rawlings, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio. Gentlemen, we are coming up on an election year, and it seems like leaders in the church know it. People are still all abuzz about Andy Stanley's conference a few weeks ago as we record this. He stood up and said that, well, that we need to accept LGBTQ people fully in the church. And uh, in fact, I'm pulling up a quote. I don't know if you gentlemen know who Sam Alberry is. He's a minister who has admitted he's only attracted to men, but he has dedicated his life to being single and not acting on those impulses. And here's what Sam Alberry wrote for Christianity Today. He said, when any leader suggests to me that chaste obedience to Christ in singleness is not sustainable, he is saying the very same thing to me that the devil says. Let's start there because this is going to be a major issue, and I wouldn't be shocked to see some people running for office on this platform quoting Andy Stanley and as support, much as Bill Clinton quoted a couple of Southern Baptist theologians in support of his view of abortion back in the 90s. So, Ken, you're nodding your head. So what are your thoughts? You have a son who's a lead pastor of a mega church who I know uh, deals with these issues. What what say you going into this election season about all this hubbub? Who was it that made the statement uh, that the kingdom of God won't arrive on Air Force One? Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson. I, I think that is uh, something that we need to be reminded of as we approach an election year. Obviously, in preaching, you're standing in front of a number of people. In the case of today's audiences, it may be as large as 30,000, 32,000 with, I mean, talking about uh, Southeast with multi-sites, and that's not counting the people who are listening, watching online. Every word that you say as a preacher is being weighed and measured like never before. And it is uh, really important that people who stand and represent the Lord in His Word in any community, in any context these days, has really done their homework and really have their heads on straight and their hearts right in order to foster unity and to do it on the basis of Scripture. It's a great challenge. I think it's. I think preaching to today's audiences is a greater challenge than it was in my formative years. The seriousness of it is something that uh, we just have to embrace if we're going to respond to God's calling to be preachers of the Word. 
here at, in Louisville, you may remember the issues that we had that were pretty serious race issues a couple, three years ago. And of course, in any community of the size of Louisville, you're going to have a large LGBT community. And the thing is, you you don't want to alienate those people. You don't want to have division in in your church. And and Jesus is our model here. It's amazing to me how many times there were attempts to bring him into a divisive situation and, and how he resisted it. Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus said, bring me a coin whose image is on the coin, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, render to God the things that are God's. And the crowd was amazed. And they were amazed that he could diffuse a potentially divisive situation and and elevate the argument. They brought a woman to him, had been taken in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? You know, it's just situations that are rife with potential for alienating people, dividing people, creating conflict between people. And Jesus said, let the one among you without sin first cast a stone at her. You just see this over and over again. And I think that's our model for being able to preach in the climate that we're in these days, is the way Jesus pursued peace, elevated the argument, put the accent mark over the things that matter most. So I think that's the challenge. It's a formidable challenge for preachers today, but but it's one that can be, can be addressed effectively. And uh, I, I was amazed how the elders and preachers at, at Southeast were able to navigate us through a very potentially divisive season with COVID, masks on or off? When do we stop assembly, start assembly? Do we comply with the government? Do we object? All of those uh, things that there were to divide and argue over that were politically oriented. We navigated that with unity and are experiencing great days and uh, in terms of attendance and baptisms and the accent is in the right place. And I think it's because we navigated that season of potentially divisiveness with unity and goodwill and biblical fidelity. Let me both agree and push back a little bit if I could and then open this up. Let me agree that, so for example, I know of a number of leading voices, even in writing on culture, who would say that One of the things that Christian pastors need to realize is that we are in the minority. And in fact, I have preached at my church that we need to understand we're not, uh, as a people, as a Christian people, we're not in Jerusalem, we're in Babylon right now. So what we need are more Christians, first and foremost, for our world. But let me push back on this. I I preached on that render unto Caesar and, and render unto God. And What I did when I preached on that, and this was back when I was at a church plant and maybe was trying to be too creative for my own good, but I handed out cards. People were to look at them at the end of the sermon, and and one of them said, render under Caesar's word of Caesar, and I had put on there, glued on there, a little Roman coin. Then when when they flipped it over, it said, render under God's what is God's, and it had a mirror. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's... Mm -hmm you know, at some point I, you got to get them, you know, baptized and into the faith. But at some point you also got to tell them that you got to live this and to live this has some cultural implications, but let's open this up. Bob, what say you as we come into this election cycle? Well, I think if we're the shepherds of the flock, a part of the responsibility of the shepherd is to guide the people in the pew. And I don't think we are, are to put our finger to the wind and, and go the direction of the culture. And there are times that we are called to be counterculture. 
mm-hmm. and you we are in the minority. There, there are a couple of reasons preachers are really reluctant to say anything that smacks of politics. One is that they are advised by some leading bloggers and some of the disciples you mentioned, Andy Stanley, they'll say, look, if you say anything political, you're going to turn off the seeker. You're going to turn off especially the millennial or Gen Z because they don't want to hear any politics in the pulpit. And that's true. I think if you say anything political, uh, they're going to be turned off. However, our first obligation is not to be careful not to alienate the seeker. Our first obligation is to preach the whole counsel of God. And there are times when political issues are really spiritual issues. We're facing a lot of those right now. We've got an election this coming week in Kentucky. We have two candidates. One is for abortion right up to the day of birth, and uh, the other is pro-life. One is for gender reassignment surgery. The other is for parental rights and and protecting children. One, uh, as governor, shut the uh, church down during COVID and even sent police into the parking lot of a church that didn't shut down, had them take license numbers of people and violated the principle of religious freedom. The other is, is for, made it very clear that he was for the churches remaining open. And so we've got two people running for governor who have, these are not political issues, they are spiritual issues. And if we are the shepherds of the flock and we are the salt of the earth, I think we've got to speak up on these issues and inform our people as to what the issues are. The second reason that preachers are reluctant to say anything is they know when they speak up. As Ken mentioned, you get all kinds of people sitting out there in the audience with different views, and the, the more liberal crowd are very, very vocal. And if you speak up about these issues that are spiritual issues, you're going to get a lot of criticism. I remember preaching one time before an election. I just said, here are the issues in this election that I believe are biblical issues, and I would encourage you to vote your values. And I had a nasty letter from a family who said, we're never coming back. Uh, We didn't know we're going to attend a a Republican rally. Well, I didn't mention Republican or Democrat, but we've got a problem. And the problem is that people's allegiance to a political party supersedes their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And we got a problem in the pulpit in that we're afraid of criticism and we're afraid of alienating anybody lest we speak up. But, you know, it's understanding the times in which we live and knowing what to do, like the men of Issachar. The Old Testament prophets didn't hesitate to speak up truth to power. Elijah was called an enemy by King Ahab. John the Baptist didn't fail to speak up about his king, Herod, living with his brother's wife. When Herod got angry, John the Baptist didn't apologize, say, oh, I didn't mean to offend you, king. I shouldn't have said anything. And Jesus said, no greater man born to woman than than John the Baptist. And, and Jesus did have a balance of truth and grace, but boy, he didn't please everybody. He alienated so many people and was so divisive, he got crucified. I think we're to be the salt of the earth. We're, we're to be the light of the world. And if preachers can't take a stand for life and can't take a stand for parental rights and for religious freedom for the family, what, what are we going to stand for? We've got to understand the times in which we live and We've got to be willing to absorb the criticism that we get, because if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who's going to prepare for battle? I think one of the reasons, too, that there's been some some confusion is we've recast moral issues and made them political issues. And then uh, 
dealt with them as political issues. And what we've got to do is from our pulpits is to speak where the Bible speaks and to address moral issues and spiritual issues and not uh, allow them to be recast as political issues, which are divisive and considered to be matters of opinion. If it's a moral issue, if it's a spiritual issue, it's it's absolute truth and needs to be represented that way. Yeah, well, but if you if you speak up about homosexuality or you speak up about gender reassignment surgery, you speak up for life, the, the audience sees that as a political issue because that's what they're hearing on the news. And you, I don't think you can avoid that controversy. I think it needs to be spoken in love. But the problem we have in pulpits across America, I, I'm I'm talking to dozens and dozens of preachers annually, and we're we're remaining silent when the country's falling apart. It, it's not a problem of being divisive; it's a problem of silence. And if we well, don't blow a certain sound on the trumpet, people aren't going to rally around what's right and true. It's like the example I just used when I I, I said, "Here's we've got an election coming up. Here are the issues." I just said, well, here's what the Bible has to say. And a family left angrily saying, this is a Republican rally. Yeah, I tell people, I'm just the UPS delivery guy. I don't have any control over what's in the package. I just deliver it. There you go. I know for a fact, because I, I was sitting there as a young man, I've watched people walk out on my father's sermons when he preached on life, uh, on the abortion issue. Yeah, he's not a person needed to say, speak up. So, Dad, speak up. Tell me what you're thinking. I don't think anybody wants to hear it, to be honest with you. But <laughs> I'm convinced that we should, without reservation, but with careful preparation and prayer, address all of these issues, whether anybody likes to hear them or not. In sitting in any pew, in any church, you're going to have both sheep and goats. And that division is going to happen, and it's unavoidable. But I think that the way you package it is important. In our family, we have kin folks who are lesbian. And I can remember when she made that choice. And so I try to say, look, we can't point fingers because it's in most of our families to some degree. But that doesn't alter the fact that it's a sin. We've allowed the divorce thing to get so rampant without drawing a line that it's almost accepted as though it's not even addressed in scripture, but it is. And those things are divisive in our culture, but we have to make up our mind. And I did this a long time ago with a lot of help from some really good old preachers who kind of watched over me and at times pulled me back and other times egged me on. Joe Dampier was probably the one who was the most fun in doing it, but he was there all the time. And he he just simply said, you know, part of your responsibility is to make people uncomfortable when they're wrong. Some of my best, I just had a really good friend who's a homosexual. He died here a couple of weeks ago. Whenever he got into trouble, he would call me. I'm one of those fellows who believe that homosexuals through the power of the Holy Spirit can be drastically and wonderfully changed. I have, I can't name names or point out because it would make un people unnecessary give hardship, but I've got a guy who sends me his Sunday school stuff to look at and send back to him about every three months. And he was uh, in a homosexual lifestyle in California for several years. 
you went to the Melody Land Church, uh, just there. It's a Pentecostal church not far from uh, Disney World out there. Became a Christian, married, has a family, da-da-da-da-da, and is a magnificent Bible teacher. Nothing is impossible with the God that, that we worship and serve, and we need to represent him really, really well. I think part of that is to be a preacher without fear of anything other than God. I have to compromise that a little bit because I'm married. But beyond that, I don't think I'm afraid of anything. And, uh, <laughs> and well, so, no, and, and one, of the, one of the passages of Scripture that I've heard you preach many times on this is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, mm -hmm. which is when Paul said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Scripture does state that, yes, it is possible to change all of those things. But um, keep this going forward. I, and Ken, I'll come back to you here in a second. Well, let uh, me show you this, what's in our bulletin this weekend. Yeah. Th this is in the bulletin this weekend. Yeah, which is vote. People who can't see this, vote no on issues one and two here in Ohio. Issue one is seeking to take power away from the legislature to address abortion at all. And so an issue two is to try to legalize marijuana in Ohio. And before we started recording We've had some dad has spoken to some pastors in the area who have spoken out on this issue and received some grief, both from their denomination and from people in the pulpit and, and so forth. But dad and I had the opportunity many years ago to spend a week out west with uh, Dr. Wayne Grudem, who wrote a book called Politics According to the Bible. And one of the things that Dr. Grudem says in that book is there are two equal and opposite errors that preachers make only preach politics, or never preach politics. We've all encountered situations in our church where someone could really benefit from support and talking with a therapist. Thankfully, God has provided individuals who are specifically trained to be therapists. And I am genuinely excited to share a fantastic option with you today from BetterHelp, the sponsor of today's episode. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and accessible, which is so crucial because finding a therapist can be quite challenging, especially when you're limited to local options. But with BetterHelp, everything becomes easier because it's an online platform. By answering a few questions, they can match you with a professional therapist in just a few days. Signing up and getting matched with a therapist is a breeze. Simply follow the link in the description, betterhelp.com slash 1801media. That's betterhelp.com slash 1801media. Not only does clicking this link support our channel, but it also gets you a 10% discount on your first month of BetterHelp. It's a win-win. You know, finding the right therapist is kind of like dating. Sometimes it takes a bit to find the perfect fit. But with BetterHelp, if you don't quite click with your initial therapist, no worries. You can easily switch to a different one for free without worrying about insurance or network restrictions. As Christians, we sometimes don't think of therapy as an option, but it's essential to recognize that there are people available to help us through difficult times. So I want to encourage you to consider this valuable option. Whether you need someone to talk to about everyday struggles 
depression, anxiety, or any other challenges. If you or someone you know is struggling, I strongly recommend exploring online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash 1801media. That's betterhelp.com slash 1801media to get started. Once again, thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this channel. Let's all take a step towards better mental health and support one another on this journey. You're not alone, and there is help available. Better help. I was going to tag uh, what Scott said about a great resource for people who are dealing with this issue, the homosexual issue. There's a great book by Wesley Hill entitled Washed and Waiting. And he is a same-sex attracted person who became a Christian and is going to remain celibate until Christ's return or his death. And it is a great testimony. I've recommended that book several times to families that are dealing with this issue or individuals that are wrestling with this issue. It's, it's a great book. I don't hear it talked about very much, but washed and waiting. And repeat your question for me. I'm, I'm one of these... Uh, one track. Yeah. Well, it was uh, uh, many years ago, it was ADF, who I worked for at the time, who who sponsored the book, uh, Wayne Grudem's book, uh, Politics According to the Bible, in which he argued in the introduction, he said there are two equal and opposite errors that preachers can make, preach nothing but politics or never preach politics. Yeah, I, I think he's on to something there. I do think when you deal with um biblical issues and and superimpose the Bible over the so-called political issues. That's critical. The thing that I think that preachers have to be aware of, I, I don't think you can endorse candidates by name from the pulpit without being... As the, as the lawyer here, no, you, you cannot endorse a candidate, but you can endorse and speak about issues Correct. Um, and legally, you can hold candidate forums at your church building if you invite all the candidates, and you can also register people to vote uh, at your church. Those things are legal. But no, a, a church or a minister in his pulpit cannot endorse a candidate. Now, a pastor can endorse outside of his pulpit. That is legal. One of the things that I did at Crossroads in Evansville that got me into trouble with the Americans United for the separation of church and state was uh, we had an elder who was running for a state representative. I sent out a letter that was to go to all of the preachers of Christian churches and evangelical churches in the area, endorsing the character of uh, our elder who was running. This letter was sent to pastors of like-minded churches in the area, supposedly. Well, one of the letters wound up in the hands of a Catholic priest who saw that as a, a violation of the law that you just quoted. So it made the local news. Following Sunday, when I got up to preach in two services, both times I got up to preach to standing ovation for the fact that I had fallen into disfavor with this particular group, this Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, very liberal group, very uh, left-wing. And sometimes you're known by your enemies as, as well as by your friends. You know, if the right group hates you, it carries the force of a compliment. I, I actually, it turned out to be a good thing, but it was, uh, you know, it was concerning to me. Is this going to be kicked up to the next level? And, and did I do anything 
wrong. And I had a couple of attorneys in the church that assured me that to endorse the character of uh, someone who was an elder in my church who was running for political office, that there was nothing that was a violation of the law in that. No, there's I, I spent eight years working for ADF doing exactly this, training pastors on what they could and could not do according to federal and state jurisprudence. Um, I won't tell you where I went to law school because I'm ashamed of my alma mater after these past couple of weeks on the news with the protests and everything that they've had going on. But I, I, I will say this, what I used to tell pastors come election year was a pastor can endorse a candidate. Now, to be careful, what the pastor should do is not use any of the church's equipment and use their own personal email or you know, that kind of thing. But if they do that, they're fine. They're, they're, they're absolutely fine. If you're, a citizen, uh, if you're a citizen, not a representative of the church, per se. Correct. If you're, but you can state that you are the pastor of such and such a church. You can state that. Um, that's not a problem. And so that's there's no there's nothing out there that would get you in trouble in the federal court because of that. So th there is all that. And, and let me state, because I hear this all the time, uh, somebody that Meg and I, we know, ran for office a couple of years ago, and he quoted this as in the Constitution, separation of church and state. It's not in the Constitution. The separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. It's quoted from an 1803 letter by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association, in which Jefferson is arguing that the state shouldn't have a preference for a certain church, that every church should be just as free as any other church. And that's all he was stating. And the second thing I would remind people of, Thomas Jefferson had nothing to do with the Constitution. Thomas Jefferson was in France when the Constitution was written. He had nothing to do with it. And so I get irritated when I hear pastors fall into that trap and they say that for the pulpit. That's just historically inaccurate. But Bob, you weigh in here because you do, I know that with your ministry now, since you retired from the pulpit at Southeast, that you spend a lot of time mentoring young pastors. If you've got a young pastor who emails you or calls you and says, look, the elders don't want me to talk about this, but I think this is what scripture's teaching. What what advice would you give them as a mentor to so many young pastors? Let's do a hypothetical. Let, let's say the government stepped in and said, you can no longer say in the pulpit that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's hate speech. You're alienating the Muslim population, other religions. You can no longer talk about Jesus being the only way. Would we then yield to the pressures of the government, try to tiptoe around it? Or would we say with Peter and John, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. we got to obey God, not man. I hope we would all have the courage to say, you know what? I'm about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm about what Jesus said. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You throw me in jail. You can arrest me. You, you can threaten me. But I, I'm, I'm going to speak the truth. I think hopefully most preachers would say, I, I'm going to keep speaking the truth. How is it then we inch back, we inch back on issues like uh, the, the family, what God intended for marriage, what God intended for religious freedom, what God intended for basics of rearing children, protecting children. I think we've got, as, as Ken mentioned earlier, you've got so many different kinds of people in the audience if you're going to go up into the pulpit with, I don't want to offend anybody, I don't want to be divisive, you're going to back off. 
I, I spoke at Man Challenge at Southeast several weeks ago, and it's so impressive. I mean, there are 300 and some men there at six o'clock in the morning. And my assignment for the day was preach on, teach on the rich fool. And five minutes into my message, I said, Jesus was critical of, of the rich fool, not because he wanted to accumulate wealth. The, the Bible doesn't say it's always wrong to be ambitious and accumulate wealth. The Bible doesn't endorse any kind of financial system. It doesn't come out for capitalism or for socialism. But uh, I, I quoted Winston Churchill, who said the problem with capitalism is that it results in an unequal distribution of prosperity. The trouble with socialism is it, it, there's an equal distribution of misery. <laughs> yeah. And a guy on the front table had a look of disgust, and he stood up and slammed his books together and marched out. He was angry at me for being critical of socialism. That was political to him. And I, I said later, who was that guy? And he said, well, he's moved here recently from Sweden, and they have they have socialism <laughs> suite. You've got so many different people out there, that, and there's there's just a anger and a, a polarization in the minds of people. So if you're worried about that guy marching out, you're not going to say anything. You're, you're gonna you're gonna wind up being a liberal preacher who just tiptoes around the edges and never takes a stand. So Lao Sialer used to talk about. There are a lot of second commandment churches. The second commandment says we love our neighbor as ourselves. He said there's a first commandment, and the first commandment is we love God. And that takes precedent. What does God mm -hmm. have to say? What does God want us to do? That takes precedent over how we love other people. And for us to remain silent on issues just because somebody's going to think they're political is, to me, cowardice. And it's a refusal to preach the whole counsel of God. So when you ask me how I counsel guys, I counsel them to be strong and courageous, and the Lord your God will go with you. When I was preaching at Crossroads in Evansville, there was a well-known attorney who came to worship one Sunday with his wife, not in the habit of, of attending. He came, sat in the back with his wife. It so happened that that Sunday I was in a series on marriage, and I was talking about cohabitation. And uh, this man had divorced his wife and lived with another woman who eventually married. They were in church that Sunday. He turned to her and said, have you heard about enough of this? And uh, she said, yes. And they got up and left. Well, they were well known and enough that other people saw them leave and came to me and said, you realize that he and his wife walked out of the service? I said, no, I, I didn't realize that. I followed up that week with a telephone call to him. And I said, I understand that you walked out Sunday. I'd like to have a conversation with you if, if you'd be open to that. And he said, I'll give you 20 minutes at Panera Bread. And he gave me a time. <laughs> 20 minutes. Huh? So I met him at Panera Bread and uh, talked to him and just told him my, my intent was to champion what the Bible said about the sanctity of marriage and I said, what are the chances that you and your wife would be there that particular Sunday? I wish you to come the week before, the week after. And, and there you were, and you got offended and left. But I said, can you possibly see God's hand in that as far as you are concerned? And uh, the whole tenor of the conversation changed. Well, we were, we were there for over an hour. And before, as we were walking out of Panera Bread, he said, uh, don't you usually pray with people that you counsel? I said, yes, I do. I, I said, I wasn't sure how you'd receive it. He said, I, I'd receive it fine. 
And we stood outside the entrance of Panera Bread, and I put a hand on his shoulder and, and prayed for him. And people were coming in and out. And just the way it all ended was so different than the way it all began. He was very offended, I think, for his wife. And they had lived the very things that, that I happen to be confronting in that message. I do so think that it's time for the redeemed of the Lord to say so. It's past time. And in this climate today, it's just uh, to be heralds of the truth. You know, it's going to put us in a position to offend some people. Some people are going to walk out. If we know who they are and we can follow up with uh, some one-on-one -on -one counsel, I think sometimes people's behavior changes in the chemistry of one-on-one. -on -one. I, I think Jesus was onto something when he said, if you think somebody's over taken in a fall, go to them. Or if you've offended somebody, go to them. Is that a contradiction? No, he intends that people be going to each other, whether they are the offended or the offender. Sometimes following up something, uh, a strong message that confronts a moral issue that may be offensive to some people, if you can follow it up with face-to-face, -face, boy, it seems to me that my experience has been that that changes the chemistry. Well, I think that that's really, really true, Ken, and I, I, it's commendable. I, the couple I mentioned that suggested I was leading a Republican rally. I tried to follow up on them and they, they didn't want to follow up. They said, we're going elsewhere. And maybe sometimes that's good too, because the church is to be distinctive and the church is to be ecclesia, people who are called out. I think sometimes we have to accept that sometimes there's a separation of the wheat from the chaff whenever we preach the truth. I've got some problems with, uh, with a lot of that stuff because I don't see how we can avoid getting into political stuff because we have a lot of people in our country now moving toward Marxism. Marxism is anti-God. And why we cannot approach that and, and address it face-to-face -face and say our piece, I think it's almost cowardice. And I think we have to address some of those things and say, get it simply. Just don't be nasty about it. That's not necessary to be effective. But I, I think avoiding it is is almost cowardice. And uh, I'd have a hard time living with myself if I didn't say, you know, these folks are anti-God and a lot of that stuff. And by the way, I'll rat on Matthew because it cost me a lot of money. He went to Cornell Law School. And so he's an Ivy Leaguer that uh, that we're trying to get back on the straight and narrow here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Here's something that I want to I want to bring up before we start to wrap this discussion up, which is I am old enough to remember when uh, I was growing up, the most powerful politician in the state of Ohio lived in our hometown. He was not a Republican. He was an FDR kind of liberal, even though he was pro-life and he was against gun control. But other than that, he was pretty liberal down the line. And he didn't go to our church, but when he needed advice, he would come see dad. And I asked him about that once. And he said, because I trust your father to tell me the truth. Hmm. So dad, why don't you talk about that for a second? Oh, he's talking about Vernon Rife. Vernon Rife was Speaker of the House for a long time here and has a building named after him in Columbus. And occasionally on a Saturday morning when I was in here trying to polish off a sermon, 
getting ready to go because I've never been one like Bob Russell who can get it down to perfection and then just have to get up and spit it out. I've always had to wrestle with them to the last minute. And I would be, <laughs> I, would be I would be in here working on it and I'd get a telephone call and it would be Vern and he would say, oh, what are you doing? Uh, usually I would say, waiting for you to call. And, and I'd go up to his office. He'd take phone off the hook, lock the door, and we'd sit and talk. Christ Community was was called a Republican church. And the primary reason they did is because it probably was. There, because not many Democrats, there are a few black people that are still here who are, are hard shell Democrats, but they owe me a lot. So they still come put up with me. And, <laughs> uh, and, and they really are good friends. In fact, one of them this past, I didn't know the, any of the school board people because I've already voted and I called him up to say, you know, these people and you care. Tell me how to vote for these things, but don't tell me anything else. And so he, he's one of those hard shell. He's traveled all over the world with me, if you into Africa and everything else. We really are good friends, but uh, we, we just say, okay, we're different. And, and we actually kind of have a good time with it because the, the influence of Christ, and, and he, he kind of likes to be a hard shell guy but he's really a wuss. I remember we were in Nazareth and we went out on this point, you know, where Jesus was supposed to have jumped off or push, they were going to push him over the hill or do something at that precipice. And, and I said, we've gone this far enough. I want you to lead us in prayer. And he couldn't, he, he was crying so hard he couldn't. And so ever since then, I remind him, he's just a Democrat wuss that wishes he's a Republican and just, and we can, and we can do that within the body of Christ and still love one another even though we we really are different. And that same thing was true with Vern Rife. That could be a, this could be a long story and I don't want to get into it, but I did a few things in Columbus back years ago. I was up there for another reason in the state house and he and the governor were not getting along. So I went to see him. I said, hey, you're causing a problem for the citizens of Ohio. You two birds need to be talking to each other. And with expletives deleted because he was colorful in his language, told me, he said, I would talk to him in the parking lot. Well, I went back to Voinovich's office and asked, I told him, he said, I'll go see him. I said, well, get over with that, with that kind of a background. And there's some other things too, over through the years, Vern Reif was a really good friend and I trusted him in a lot of areas to help people and he would help them. I was glad that he trusted me, and I hope I was proved to be trustworthy. No, that's what he said, and that was my point in bringing it up, is that you had a reputation, and this is what I tell people when young pastors, if you have to choose, it's better to be respected than liked, because respect will get you a lot, because people will, what Vern told me when he was speaker was, you would tell him the truth, and you'd keep your mouth, you'd keep it between the two of you, and he trusted you for that, and so I think there's an extra pastoral benefit to speaking your mind, which is people know you're being honest with them. There's some cachet there. Ken, what say you as we begin to wrap this up? Well, I was thinking about a time that I preached in Chandler, Arizona at a large church, multiple services. After the first service on Sunday morning, it was during the Reagan years, and I was commending the president for declaring the year of the Bible, and uh, I made some other statements that were clearly identified me as uh, as uh, a, a Republican in my approach to, to the items that I mentioned. A couple came up to me, young couple, sharp couple, mid-30s, 
they came up to me afterwards and said that they were offended that I had taken a political position uh, up front in the in the pulpit. And I listened respectfully to them. And I employed one of my son's statements that he uses that, that he taught me, you may be right. It doesn't say you're right. It doesn't say you're wrong. <laughs> it says you, you may be right. After uh, giving them a respectful hearing and even saying to them, I receive that. I said, I, I will qualify that uh, when, I, when I preach the next hour. And I, I thanked them. So a couple of weeks later, I get this really nice letter from that couple saying we were prepared for uh, a, an unpleasant conversation and you listened to us and you were respectful and kind. We couldn't believe how gracious you were in responding. And, and that sounds self-serving. And I'm, I, I'm not always at my best. I think in that moment I might have been. And it wasn't a situation where I was confronting a, a moral issue or a a spiritual issue that was had been recast into a political issue. It wasn't that kind of a situation. It was just a, an endorsement of the president, a very enthusiastic endorsement of President Reagan at that time. And I think, though, that having the humility to listen to them and receive what they said and qualify myself a little bit in that context was helpful to that couple and kept from alienating them. It's a tightrope. Jesus was full of grace and truth, right? And so we're to be full of grace and truth. When we preach, we've got to try to keep those things together. And it's a, it's a challenge. It's a worthy undertaking. Ken, I think it's kind of obvious now. You're just a nicer guy than I am. I, I, I think that's what... <laughs> God's calling in my life is to be both a prophet and a pastor. There's a, the, the prophet or the preacher wants to be out front, holding up the standard of the Word of God, rallying people around that standard. There's another part of me that doesn't want to be in the vanguard at all, that doesn't want to be in the front. There's a part of me that wants to be in the back, picking up people who've fallen, helping them recover their feet, get their heads on straight, get their hearts right. And that prophet and pastor war in me when it comes to, to some of these issues, dealing redemptively with people, herald the truth, be in the vanguard, hold up the word of God, and uh, at the same time, fulfill the calling to be a pastor, to be a shepherd. It's uh, I've never been able to resolve that that tension. I guess that's why I uh, majored in preaching and pastoral counseling when I was in Bible college and in graduate school. I still have that same tension. And in these days, that tension is acute, you know. Well, you know, you know Ken, it's, it's what you bring up, is, though, is I think something people need to hear. One of the things I'm reminded of, and I know dad met him several times, you two may have as well, Jerry Falwell. You know, Jerry Falwell never censored himself when it came to a political issue, but at the same time, I don't know if you remember his funeral after he died, but one of the people who was front in line for his funeral and sad to be there and actually spoke up afterwards and said, you know, he wished he hadn't picked a fight with him was Larry Flint. Larry Flint, the president of Hustler, got sued by Jerry Falwell for defamation and so forth. They went to the Supreme Court over it, and they ended up being friends. And Larry Flint said after he died, he said, actually, I wish I went after somebody else because he was actually a really good guy. I suggest to young pastors that they read Eric Metaxas' book, mm -hmm. A Letter to the American Church. Mm -hmm. uh, Metaxas did the book on Bonhoeffer, studied Germany and the politics there in the 30s, 
And he said many of the pastors in Germany made the mistake of thinking that if they would just lay low, if they didn't agitate Hitler, if they didn't get too political, eventually it would all go away and life would return to normal. But he said they didn't understand the times. They didn't understand the dangers of the Nazi philosophy. And uh, it didn't return to normal. And as a result of their silence, in part, was the complete upheaval in Germany. And I think there are a lot of pastors right now that's saying, if we can lay low, if we don't get too political, if we don't alienate too many people, things are going to return to normal. But I don't think we're understanding the times, that this is a spiritual battle, that if, if, if we don't speak up, if the trumpet doesn't give a certain sound, the country's going to collapse and we're going we're gonna to lose, at least our grandchildren are going to lose the opportunities for freedom that we've enjoyed. He made his statement, Andy Stanley did, that people need to understand Jesus didn't draw lines. He drew circles to which one Baptist preacher responded online. Yes, Jesus drew circles, but around the repentant. Uh, that's something to remember. So I want to thank you all for this difficult subject. It's going to be a trying time for pastors over the next year, because it seems to me as somebody used to work in politics and on campaigns, that we're going to have probably half the country elated next November and half the country as mad as a nest of hornets one way or the other. And so it's going to be interesting times, as they say. So gentlemen, I want to thank you for this discussion. Hopefully everyone will prayerfully seek what's best from scripture and, and where they honestly feel that what scripture speaks, that we will have the boldness to speak. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.